This is Wealth Wake Up with Dick Donahue on KGMI News Talk 790, 96.5 FM in Bellingham and KGMI.com. The opinions voiced in Wealth Wake Up with Dick Donahue are for general information only and are not intended to provide specific advice or recommendations for any individual. To determine what may be appropriate for you, consult with your attorney, accountant, financial, or tax advisor prior to investing. Guests on Wealth Wake Up with Dick Donahue are not affiliated with CWM LLC. Investment advisory services offered through CWM LLC, a registered investment advisor. Welcome to Wealth Wake Up Sunday Morning. Dick Donahue with you here on KGMI. Well, soft landing, maybe. You know, we talked last week about the soft landing that markets now seem to expect. If the U.S. does have a soft landing, it would be because the Federal Reserve tightened enough to slow inflation, but not enough to throw the economy into a recession. In our opinion, Fed policy should not be measured using interest rates alone. The Fed held the federal funds rate at 0% interest rates from 2008 to 2015 without inflation. But during COVID, the Fed held the funds rate at zero for the last two years. If seven years didn't cause inflation, how did two years? Well, the answer is that the question is that following the financial crisis, the Fed shifted to an abundant reserve monetary policy and held rates at zero but it increased capital requirements and liquidity rules by enough to keep the M2 money supply in check. During COVID, the Fed expanded reserves through quantitative easing again, but relaxed liquidity rules using banks to distribute pandemic loans and hand out unemployment checks. As a result, M2 peaked at 27% year-over-year growth in February of 21. This is why inflation accelerated right on time to prove that Milton Friedman is correct again. And looking at the two things the Fed can control, which is interest rates and the growth rate of the money supply, there's a massive divergence. The funds rate is still below inflation. Looking at just rates, monetary policy is not yet tight. But looking at M2, money is tight. The growth rate of M2 has slowed down from 27% year-over-year in early 21 to 12% in January of 22 to 0% in November of 22. And given that Milton Friedman told us a slowdown in M2 growth would impact economic growth with a lag of roughly six to nine months, the economy should be showing the impact. There are a few signs of slow growth, like the ISM survey showing contraction, but gold prices have surged up almost 260 bucks in the last three months. The job market hasn't weakened materially. Note on that gold price, it still is not higher than it was back in 2012. Hold on, though. Before thinking the M2 doesn't matter, it is important to remember that pandemic policies were unprecedented. Shutting down most services and only really opening them up freely in 2022 has distorted economic data. Services were held below trend for two years are now artificially boosted, no matter what money growth does. In addition, when the Fed started its abundant reserve monetary policy, the Treasury started using its Fed checking account, called the Treasury General Account, or TGA, to hoard money. For decades, the TGA had an average balance of roughly $5 billion, and I should say only $5 billion. But lately, the TGA has held hundreds of billions, and this money does not count as M2, even if it is cash held at the Fed. Taxpayers write checks from their bank accounts. If the Treasury puts these taxes into the TGA rather than spending them, they do not return to the banking system. From the end of 2021 to November of 22, the TGA grew from $134 billion to $524 billion. In other words, M2 was reduced by $390 billion because the Treasury held cash out of the system. This has slowed reported M2 growth, and just maybe money isn't as tight as it appears. Another sign that money may not be as tight as it appears is that loans and leases at banks are up 12% in the year ending December, even though M2 has not grown. Nonetheless, money growth has slowed but rapidly. 
When the money supply breaks or are slammed, economic growth should suffer before inflation comes down. And when this happens at the same time that distortions caused by pandemic policies come to an end, a recession seems inevitable. Our forecast for real GDP growth this year is minus half a percent, and inflation remaining above four. In other words, a recession with higher inflation, or what we know is stagflation. And that's what we expect. That's not necessarily going to lead to a soft landing. Let's take a look at our global roundup this week. We saw the stocks gave ground in technical trading. Global equities fell back this week after the S&P 500 failed to overcome strong technical resistance around the 4,000 level, which is close to the 200-day moving average and a downtrend line that has been tested multiple times over the past year. In addition, for the first time in a while, investors interpreted the soft U.S. economic data as bad news for equities rather than as a sign that the U.S. Federal Reserve will soon turn more dovish. Compared with last Friday, the yield on the U.S. 10-year Treasury note was slightly lower at 3.45%, having fallen as low as 3.32% earlier in the week, while the price of a barrel of West Texas intermediate crude oil added $2.50 to $81.25. And volatility is measured by the CBOE Volatility Index, or VIX, rose to 20.6 from 19.3. And we're seeing that the U.S. is hitting its debt ceiling. The U.S. Department of Treasury estimates that it reached its statutory debt limit on the 19th of January. However, the department estimates that it can use extraordinary measures to allow the government to meet its obligation through the middle of the year. In exchange for raising the limit, congressional Republicans want to extract extending reductions from the White House, something the administration of U.S. President Joe Biden has forcefully resisted. Though debt ceiling negotiations may become contentious, Senate Republican leader Mitch O'Connell said that the United States will never default. And we're seeing that China's economy held up better than expected in December. China's economy held up better despite a massive surge in COVID infections. Industrial production beat forecasts growing at 1.1% year over year, though it grew at a slower pace than in November and retail sales declined a less-than-expected 1.9% after sales plunged 5.9% the month before. Before the quarter, GDP growth grew 2.9% year-over-year, setting the stage for continued rebound in the first quarter. On Thursday, officials from the International Monetary Fund forecast a sharp economic recovery in China beginning in the second quarter, based on current infection trends. China's President Xi Jinping this week called the COVID outbreak fierce, but said that with perseverance, dawn is just ahead. And the guard challenges view that hiking will slow. European Central Bank President Christine Lagarde said that investors would be well advised to adjust bets that the central bank will hike rates more slowly beginning in March. Press reports earlier this week suggested the ECB would downshift to quarter-point hikes after a half-point hike in February. Speaking at the Economic Forum of Davos, Lagarde said that eurozone inflation remains too high and that the central bank will stay the course. Markets anticipate about 130 basis points, that would be 1.3% of additional tightening from the ECB by mid-year before a pause. And U.S. data softens except for labor. The bulk of the U.S. economic data released this week, which we'll go into some detail here after this next break, continued to defy expectations. Retail sales were a good deal weaker than forecast in December, falling 1.1% month over month, and November sales were revised lower. Industrial production also declined, down 0.7% in December, with November revised lower also. Then we saw housing starts and building permits both declined in December. The home builder sentiment showed the first uptick in over a year in January. And in a sign that labor market remains robust, weekly jobless claims fell to 190,000, which is the lowest reading since late in September. Dick Donahue with you here with Wealth Wake Up. We'll be right back. 
A fine wine, your favorite jeans, a drop-top Chevy. So many things get better with age. Unfortunately, your furnace isn't one of them until now. With Barron's Payback Program, you can earn up to $1,500 in combined savings when you upgrade to a new high-efficiency furnace. The older the furnace, the more you'll save. And spoiler alert, two lucky customers will win air conditioning. That dinosaur in the garage has been keeping you toasty for decades. But as much as 40% or more of its energy could be wasted, Yikes, that old furnace is costing you money. So call Baron and save up to $1,500 when you trade in your old model. Plus, two lucky customers will win free air conditioning, including the customer with the oldest furnace. Good things really do come to those who wait. But don't wait too long. Call today. Baron's payback program is going on now through February 28th. Baron, your full-service HVAC electrical and plumbing contractor. Our mission, improving lives. No purchase necessary. See BaronHeating.com for details. Bad credit can be like a real bad odor. Follow you around when you're trying to get a motor. Luckily for you, there's some guys in town saying don't sweat the crunch. Come get your car now. Liquidation Car Company with down payments as low as $500 plus 0% financing. You can drive away today serving Whatcom County since 1984. Go to Liquidation Car Company today, 5250 Guide Meridian or online at liquidationcar.com and get rolling again. Staying connected with your community each Saturday at noon with KGMI's Community Connection as local business leaders share their expert advice. Sponsored by Dewey Griffin Subaru, Ferndale Downtown Association, Lydia Place, UA Local 26, and Lorraine's Window Coverings. Community Connection, Saturdays at noon on KGMI News Talk 790, 96.5 FM in Bellingham and KGMI.com. The opinions expressed on this program are not necessarily those of KGMI or the Cascade Radio Group. If tomorrow all the things were gone, I'd work for all my life. And I had to start again with just my children and my wife. Welcome back to Wealth Wake Up. Dick Donahue with you this Sunday morning here on KGMI. We're Asset Advisors. We are located out on the Pacific Highway. That's old Highway 99, just to your right. If you go off the Slater Road, go on up over the Smith Road. But we're before that. We're in the Pacific Commerce Center out next to Wilson's Furniture. you got Northwest Hot Tubs over in the other corner. And our address here is 5060 Pacific Highway, Suite 101, Ferndale, 98248. Our phone number, 360-733-1200. And once you check out our website, if you go into wealthwakeup.com, one of the things that you'll run into in there is a under tools to go in and take a risk survey. The first question that you get there is discovering the right investment strategy for you. Basically, tell us about your investment objectives and the level of comfort that you're willing to take or risk. So the first question is, by what percentage do you expect your portfolio to grow annually over the long term, say of 10 plus years? Well, 0 to 2%, 2 to 4, 4 to 6, 6 to 8, or more than 8%. Now, most of our clients have been telling us 6 to 8% a year, but I have to note that over 8% is not necessarily unrealistic when you consider that the S&P 500 average has been almost 9% or a little over 9% since the late 1920s. So anyway, you can go in and take this questionnaire if you choose, and that's something I do suggest you take a look at. Okay, we're going to continue on with our quick hits for the week. We saw that Fed Vice Chair Leo Brainerd, one of the most dovish members of the Federal Open Market Reserve Committee, said on Thursday that policy will need to be sufficiently restrictive for some time, adding that time and resolve will be required in order to lower inflation to the Fed's 2% target. And according to the World Population Review, India may have overtaken China to become the world's most populous country. At the end of 2022, India's population was estimated at 1.417 billion, with about 5 million more than China's. And New Zealand's Prime Minister announced that she will step down from her post in early February rather than lead her party into the upcoming general election. And according to Freddie Mac, U.S. mortgage rates dropped to 6.15% this week. That's the lowest of September after peaking at 7.08 in November. A year ago, the average rate was just 3.56%. 
We also saw that a sharp rise in rates led to a dramatic decrease in home affordability. And the Federal Reserve Bank of New York's recession model, which relies on the spread between the three-month Treasury bill yield and the yield on the 10-year note, implies that a 47% chance of a recession over the next 12 months. That's the highest probability since 1982. We saw that retail sales in the United Kingdom dropped 6.1% in December, finishing the worst year on record. Consumer confidence took a tumble as the measure compiled by GFK fell minus 45 in January from minus 40 in December, close to the lowest level since the survey began in 1980. And core inflation in Japan rose 4% in December from a year earlier from a fresh 41-year high, double the Bank of Japan's target. The Bank of Japan refrained from adjusting its yield curve control band this week, which suggested to investors that there will be no further adjustments until a new governor takes office in April. Market confidence in the Brazilian government has shaken this week after the President Silva questioned the independence of the nation's central bank, calling it nonsense, adding that the current inflation target hinders economic growth. However, later in the week, A spokesman appeared to backtrack, saying that the government does not plan to change its relationship with the central bank. And U.S. existing home sales, which will give you more information here in a minute, continued to decline in December, falling 1.5% from November's downwardly revised 7.9% fall. Economists had expected a steeper 3.4% December decline. And earnings news, about 11%. Of the constituents of the S&P 500 have reported their second quarter of 2022 blended earnings per share, which combines reported data with estimated data for those that have yet to report, shows that the earnings declined 4.9%, while sales rose about 3.7% compared with the same quarter a year ago. According to data from the FactSec research, If earnings finished the quarter in the red, it would be the first decline since the third quarter of 2020. Okay, let's talk about December's retail sales. We saw the retail sales in December falling 1.1%, which follows a downwardly revised 1% drop in November. The weakness in retail was widespread as 10 of the 13 retail categories declined in December, led by gas stations, autos, and non-store retailers, which is internet and mail order dropping 4.6%, that would be gas stations, autos 1.2%, and non-store retailers were down 1.1%, respectively, for the month. Some of the problem with retail is a continued shift to more spending on services than from goods. But even with the service category in the retail sales report, restaurants and bars fell nine-tenths of 1% in December, the largest drop since January of 22. Core sales, which exclude the most volatile categories of autos, building materials, and gas stations, fell eight-tenths of 1% in December, but they were up 3.3% annual rate in the fourth quarter versus the third quarter average. This measure is important to GDP. Plugging this data on retail sales into other reports in our models suggests that real GDP grew at a 25 to 3% rate in the fourth quarter, although it's anyone's guess whether growth continued into the first quarter. Problem remains, the key drivers for overall spending is inflation. Yes, consumers spent more over the past year, but they're not taking home the same amount of goods. And although overall retail sales are up 6% from a year ago, that is not outpacing inflation, with CPI up 6.5% over the same period. So due to very loose monetary policy and the massive increase in government transfer payments in response to COVID, retail sales are still running higher than they would have if COVID never happened. However, loose monetary policy, which helped finance the big greed increase in government spending, is translating into higher inflation which is why real inflation-adjusted retail sales are lower versus a year ago. This doesn't mean that overall consumer spending is down. Retail sales only measure part of consumer spending. The vast majority of services, which is medical care, education, housing rents, aren't included. And most of consumer spending is services. Including services, overall consumer spending is still rising. Nonetheless, the payback from the monetary morphine injected by the Fed into the economy over the past few years is just beginning. The economy is starting to come back to a more painful reality.
And the producer price index for December showed that prices in December fell for the most in any single month since April 2020, as falling costs for food and energy more than offset rising prices across other categories, given the desire of many investors and economic followers alike to latch on to any reason from the Federal Reserve to stop raising prices. The headline number in the report will be heralded by some as a sign that inflation is defeated. And while it's, it certainly does not look like peak inflation is behind us, we aren't popping any champagne bottles just yet. While energy prices fell 7.9% in December, food prices declined 1.2%. Core producer prices, which remove the typically volatile food and energy categories, rose a tenth of percent in December, remain up 5.5% in the last year, well exceeding the Fed's 2% inflation target. Looking deeper into core inflation, prices for both goods, which excludes food and energy, and services are up two-tenths of one percent and up one-tenths of one percent, respectively, rose again in December. The service side of the economy will be the key area to watch in 23. As we've witnessed across many economic reports, the shift back towards services that were heavily restricted during the pandemic shutdowns is driving movement everywhere from employment to spending to inflation. We expect the path forward toward normal will be stickier than most anticipate as the economy continues to absorb the massive surge in the M2 measure of money that the Fed injected in 20 and 21. And while there's plenty of prognostication around the Fed will do and what it means for the economy and the markets moving forward, what matters most is that inflation continues to run well above the Fed's target. We can expect a 25 basis point hike at the Fed's meeting in two weeks, along with the guidance that the Fed is prepared to continue raising rates further into 23. The path ahead to tame inflation will test the Fed's resolve. Let's hope that they are up to the task. Dick Donahue with you with Wolf Wake Up here on KGMI. We'll be back shortly. We don't have the usual traffic jams that they have in the big city, but sometimes things happen to snarl everything up depend on KGMI to keep you cruising to your destination with KGMI traffic alerts. We'll tell you where the trouble spots are. And if you see problems on the road, give us a call at 360-676-5464 so we can spread the word. KGMI News Talk 790, 96.5 FM and KGMI.com. Mornings are busy. That's why the KGMI Morning News is your perfect ticket to the world. While you rush to get ready, hear the very latest local, state, and national news. Your KGMI AccuWeather forecast, sports with Mark Skolton, the latest money news, and all the information you need for a great start to your day. The KGMI Morning News, 6 to 9 a.m. each weekday on KGMI News Talk 790, 96.5 FM, and KGMI.com. Your living room is looking pretty good, but there's something missing in that corner. It's time for a trip to Wilson's. Wilson's Furniture will have dozens of great-looking accent chairs to choose from, and one is bound to be perfect for your room. And right now, with winter sale pricing, that chair will look even better. Wilson's Furniture in Ferndale. Start off the new year with the resolution to get a better night's sleep. And Wilson's Furniture has one of the largest selections of mattresses in the Northwest. Memory foam, pillow top, inner spring, and adjustable in a wide range of firmness levels that guarantee you'll find the perfect mattress for you. All at winter sale pricing. Wilson's open seven days a week. Family room, living room, bedroom, or kitchen. If one or more of the rooms in your house needs a new look, then look to Wilson's Furniture to help you out. And with winter sale pricing, Wilson's will help you get the look for any room just the way you want it and at a price that will make you happy. Wilson's on Pacific Highway in Ferndale. Do you want to make a difference? From Bellingham to Walla Walla, Colville to Vancouver, in 35 communities across our state, the Benevolent and Protective Order of Elks is making a profound impact. Washington Elks men and women provide medical assistance to children, support our veterans, and give scholarships to students in our communities. You can become a member of America's premier charitable and patriotic organization. Visit discoverelks.com to learn about our 35 lodges across the state. Sponsored by the Washington State Elks Association and aired in cooperation with the Washington State Association of Broadcasters in this station. Honey, look what I brought home. Not a cat. You know I'm allergic. Well, you know what they say. When the cat's away, the mice will play. Why didn't you just call Biobug? 
Have you had enough of playing cat and mouse? Biobug Pest Management is here to help. Whether you have rats or mice in your business, residence, or commercial building, Biobug is committed to providing a solution that's right for you. To learn more and get your free quote, visit Biobug.com. Biobug Pest Management. Service you trust, experience you expect. 62, 63, 64, Medicare. So many of us get hung up on our age, but what we fail to realize, we've been paying for health insurance since we were old enough to work, which means we may actually be getting a raise once we're on Medicare. Sound complicated? Let D&D Insurance help make the complicated task of enrolling for your health insurance a little less complicated. I'm Derek, and my wife Denise and I, along with our amazing staff of family and friends, keep things running here at D&D Insurance. We try to help anyone and everyone navigate this ever-changing world of health insurance. Whether you're retiring and trying to figure out Medicare supplements and Medicare Advantage plans, an employer looking for better benefits for your employees, or you're self-employed and needing a plan for yourself and family, we're here to help. Give us a call at 392-8159. See you at D&D Insurance, where we try to make the complicated uncomplicated. Hi, I'm Tom Borthick, the Diamond King. Yes, we have a clearance sale with 50% off selected items. But don't forget other businesses in our shopping center, like Mount Baker Lanes, a bowling alley. Their bar has been expanded and they've remodeled. Bowling is a fun activity for the whole family. You can join a league or it makes a great place for a party. Their restaurant has wonderful juicy burgers and delicious pizzas. You can enjoy anytime. Stop by Mount Baker Lanes today. Exit 262 in Ferndale. The latest local news and important topics of the day from the West Mechanical Studio. Don't worry about your furnace on the coldest days of the year. Talk with West Mechanical, your independent train dealer, about replacing your old inefficient furnace with a train comfort system. Today, find them at westmechanical.net. Get the latest news and information 24-7 with KGMI News Talk 790, 96.5 FM in Bellingham and KGMI.com. Welcome back to Wolf Wake Up. Dick Donahue with you this Sunday morning here on KGMI. Let's continue with this week's economic reports. We're going to start out with our December housing starts. And they continued to slow in December, falling for a fourth consecutive month to close out 2022, which was a historically tough year for builders due to surging home mortgage rates. However, some of the details beneath the surface were better than the headline. Multi-unit construction accounted for all of the weakness in December, while single-family starts rose for the first time in four months and posted the largest monthly percentage gain in more than a year. It looks like the recent 100 basis point decline in 30-year fixed-year rates is improving the future sales outlook from developers. In fact, the reading on home builder sediment is measured by the NHBE Housing Index rose to 35 in January from 31 in December. Notably, this is the first increase in 13 months. It ends the longest streak of decline since records began in 1985. That said, an index reading below 50 still signals more builders view conditions as poor versus good. However, these data reinforce our view that the recent decline in mortgage rates has helped boost sentiment among developers. Though groundbreaking on news residential projects is now down 23.4% from a peak earlier this year, keep in mind that construction overall has hardly ground to a halt. Lots of projects are already in the pipeline with a number of homes under construction to the highest level on record back to 1970. These figures also demonstrate a slower construction process due to the lack of workers and other supply chain difficulties. Given that builders already have their hands full, it wasn't surprising to see permits fall for new projects fall 1.6% in December. Housing isn't going to be a source of economic growth in the year ahead, but do not expect a housing bust nearly as harsh as the 2000s. In labor market news, initial unemployment claims fell 15,000 last week to 190,000, while continuing claims rose 17,000 to 1.647 million. 
Finally, the Philadelphia Fed Index, which measures manufacturing sentiment in that region, rose to a still weak reading of minus 8.9 in January from minus 13.7 in December. And let's talk about December's existing home sales report. And existing home sales closed out 2020 by falling for the 11th consecutive month in December to their lowest level in over a decade. Falling affordability has played a major role in the region's streak of declining reports. The prime culvert is the surge in mortgage rates with interest rates at a 30-year fixed mortgage currently hovering near, right actually below 6.5%. The good news is that mortgage rates have recently fallen roughly 100 basis points. That would be 1%, which could help stabilize sales in coming months. And when you do the math, it's not hard to see why home sales have slowed down so rapidly. If you assume a 20% down payment, the rise in mortgage rates and home prices since December of 21 amounts to about a 49% increase in monthly payments on a new 30-year mortgage for the median existing home. And while financing costs remain a burden, the good news for prospective buyers is that median prices fell for the sixth month in a row in December. And part of this is just seasonality. And even with recent declines, median prices are up 2.3% in 22. The report also showed that the inventory of existing homes in the market remains tight. Available listings fell for the fifth month in a row, though they were up 10.2% from a year ago, which is the best way to look at data given the seasonality of the housing market. And given that homeowners locked in mortgage rates at rock-bottom levels during the pandemic, potential sellers are unlikely to have a 300-plus basis point increase in financing costs by re-entering the market to trade up. In other words, people are not going to get rid of those low mortgages and sell those houses, go out and pay more in interest, that's for sure. But meanwhile, the month's supply of homes, which is how long it's going to take to sell existing inventory at current prices, fell 2.9 in December well below the benchmark of five that the National Association of Realtors uses to denote a tight market. So despite the lack of options, homes that are put on the market are still selling quickly. 57% of existing homes were sold in less than a month. And while sales are clearly under pressure, this is not a repeat of the 2006-11 housing bust. Unlike the previous housing bust, we do not have a massive oversupply of homes. And meanwhile, a flood of new inventories hitting the market due to foreclosure remains unlikely. Adjustable rate mortgages make up a much smaller share of overall mortgages than they did in the lead-up to the prior housing crisis. Many current homeowners have locked in their fixed long-term mortgages at extremely low rates, which would make them very reluctant to default on their mortgage, even if the economy turns for the worse. Expect sales and prices to drag on in the year ahead, with no real inventory in housing until at least late 23 or early 24. Also got the December's Industrial Production and Capacity Utilization Report out this week, and the report on the U.S. industrial sector was ugly, with headline index posting the largest monthly decline in more than a year. Moreover, previous months were revised down significantly as well. Industrial production is now down 5.2% at an annualized rate in the last three months. And that's the worst three-month reading since the early days of the COVID pandemic and another signal that the recession is likely on its way in 2023. The manufacturing sector was the biggest contributor to the negative headline number, with production falling 1.3%. Notably, this is the largest monthly decline for that series since severe winter vortex in 2021 knocked out utilities and froze refineries and petrochemical facilities across the country. Looking at the details, both auto and non-auto manufacturing dropped in December, posting declines of 1% and 1.4% respectively. So given the recent trend of American consumers shifting their preferences back towards services and away from goods, the weak numbers out of the manufacturing sector aren't surprising. Another source of weakness was mining, which posted a decline of 9 tenths of 1% in December. A slower pace of natural gas and other mineral extraction more than offset gains in crude oil production. It looks like oil prices, which are currently hovering near $80 a barrel, continue to incentivize new exploration. 
And given that this exploration will translate into more production in the near future, the U.S. energy sector could be a lifeline for industrial production in 2023. Finally, one of the brightest spots in the report came from the utility sector, which is largely dependent on weather, which posted a gain of 3.8% in December. However, given the seasonally adjusted warmer weather in January, expect utility production to drop back down in the next report. In other recent manufacturing news, the Empire State Index, which is a measure of New York factory sentiment, fell to minus 32.9 in January from minus 11.2 in December. In addition, the sale of median and heavy trucks fell 13.5% in December. That is the largest drop for any month since the onset of COVID. And a little quick report here, a couple of them I guess we got, but half of the Americans paused retirement savings last year, according to a new survey. Many Americans not only halted contributions to their retirement savings accounts last year, they also dropped uh, into those savings to keep into their savings to keep up with inflationary costs, according to a survey from U.S. News and World Report. The 360 reviews retirements and inflation survey found that half of the respondents paused saving for retirement at some point in 22. Further, 41% of respondents stopped contributing to their 401k plans and other retirement funds, and 32% withdrew money from their retirement savings to cover expenses. The survey also found that 82% of respondents are worried about a recession, which will further erode their retirement plans and savings, and 57% indicated that they lost sleep in 2022 due to stress over their retirement. But there's some optimism among respondents that things will get better this year. 57% believe that the economy will be stronger at the end of 23, and 61% say that their personal retirement situation is going to improve. 65% of respondents, however, believe that they will need to work post-retirement to supplement their Social Security income. Also, 88% believe that generation directly after theirs will have a more difficult time retiring. As for owning a home and living comfortably in retirement, 59% said that they, these are attainable goals. 48%, however, believe that the generations behind them are also going to have a harder time reaching these goals. The survey was conducted in November, included 2,000 U.S. adults who were at least 18 years of age and have been saving for retirement for more than five years and yet are not retired. And I get callers all the time because I talk about social security claiming strategies and what have you. I had a call a while back here and they asked if they could claim social security benefits from their first spouse years after they were divorced. So the question basically, she said, I was married to my first husband from 70, 70 to 1970 to 82, divorced 21 years, remarried in 2003 to 14. My second husband's first wife was also very wealthy. Therefore, he had only worked 39 quarters. You need 40 for Social Security benefits. I mean, worked less than 10 years. When he turned 65 and I was 62, I filed for Social Security and his benefit was one half. My benefit, his benefit was one half of my benefit amount. His income went away after he passed away. My first husband makes, husband makes more in Social Security than I do. Is it possible for me to get half of my first husband's Social Security income, assuming it is more than what I already get? So an answer to this one is based on the information it appears that you are currently single. It also appears that your first husband is alive and you would like to file for spousal benefits from his record. So the rules for divorced spouses are, one, have to be married more than 10 years. Not married, in this case, the second husband died. Three, the ex-spouse is 62 or older. Four, his benefit is larger than your benefit. But here's the problem. Spousal benefits are capped at 50% of your first husband's full retirement age amount, not 50% of what he might be receiving today. In most cases, 50% of his full retirement age amount will be less than 100% of your current amount. So, the SSA Social Security Administration will not switch to spousal benefits because you would receive less than your current amount based on your own work history. However, it's always a good idea to get the numbers and compare them. 
Once a conversation with SSA will give you the right answer before you have to, uh, so you have accurate numbers. On the positive side, the SSA announced an 8.7% increase in benefits for 23, and this will not replace the lost benefits from your second husband, but it could help you with some into 2023. Dick Donahue with you with Wolf Wake Up here on KGMI. We'll be back after a quick break. Thanks for being with us. This is Russ at Linden Manor Assisted Living. While the world has changed, the needs of our seniors have not. At Linden Manor, we offer independent and assisted living, as well as memory care. It's your private apartment. You don't live at our work, we work in your home. We have 24-hour nursing staff, weekly housekeeping, three daily meals, on-site beauty salon, and activities to keep both mind and body young. Find value in community living. Visit our website at lindenmanor.com or call Janet for more information. Nugent's Corner Market and Hardware is your locally owned and operated grocery and hardware store, proud to source delicious and healthy food from local farmers, producers, ranchers, and fishers, and proud to serve the residents and visitors of the Mount Baker foothills. Whatever you need, there's a very good chance you'll find it at the Nugent's Corner Market and Hardware at a fair price. Make the Nugent's Corner Market and Hardware your first and last stop of the day. Nugent's Corner Market and Hardware, open seven days a week from 8 until 8. Cause there ain't no doubt I love this land God bless the USA Welcome back to Wealth Wake Up. Dick Down and you with you this Sunday morning. Got questions for me? Give me a call. 360-733-1200. Okay, going to start out here talking about what you can do to avoid mistakes. You trying to use a 60-day rollover. There's five easy steps. Well, what is a 60-day rollover? A 60-day rollover is a distribution of funds from a qualified retirement account payable to the account owner who has then has 60 days to redeposit the funds in another qualifying account. In other words, you take the money out paid to you. Number one, we do suggest you use a trustee-to-trustee transfer instead. The best way to avoid making a 60-day rollover mistake is to avoid the 60-day rollovers. Transfer your funds directly to another retirement account. Not only does a direct transfer avoid any 60-day time problems, but if the rollover is coming from a 401k or other qualified plan, it also avoids the mandatory 20% withholding requirement. In other words, if you take it out of a 401k or an employer plan, they have to withhold 20%. Number two, make checks payable to the new IRA custodians. Some ways, sometimes the only way a custodian will distribute an IRA to other retirement account money is to form of a check. There's a special rule that allows distribution by check to qualify as a direct rollover and avoid the 60-day rules when the check is made payable to a new IRA. For example, your check might read Custodian X for the benefit of John Doe IRA. Three, keep track of when you receive your distribution. Few people know when the 60-day clock actually begins. It starts when you receive the distribution. A few days between when the check was issued and when you actually receive it can make all the difference in the world. And four, check to make sure that the funds were deposited into the correct account. A common mistake occurs when funds are accidentally deposited into a non-retirement account. Once you've deposited the funds or sent it over to your financial institution, take five minutes out of your day to make sure that they have arrived at their intended destination. If a mistake is discovered within 60 days, it can be corrected. And number five, be aware of the once-per-year IRA rollover rule. You're limited in the number of 60-day rollovers that you can make in a 365-day period. That is 365-day period. So if you want to do a, a rollover you can uh, and take it out, this 60-day rollover, you can only do one every 365 days. Now you can do direct transfers all you want. But the once-per-year rollover applies only to 60-day rollover from IRA to IRA, from Roth IRA to Roth IRA. Under the rule, once funds have been rolled out as 60-day rollover, no other 60-day rollovers can be done by the account owner within the next 365 days. For this rule, IRAs and Roth IRAs are counted together, basically that one time. Okay, well, you better be prepared to make less money than expected. The new family... Medical leave payroll tax is going to double this year. Now, what are we talking about? And some employers have wisely prepared their employees for an increased payroll deduction. 
The culprit for workers' decreased wages is, in instance, the state's struggling paid family and medical leave program. The amount that workers pay for the social program that many will never need to use went up this month, doubling the payroll tax initially allocated when the legislation passed in 2017. That means in the last five years, the rate has doubled. A tax rate on workers and employers of four-tenths of one percent is now at eight-tenths of one percent. That's almost one percent. Why? Because more people use the program than expected. Supply is not kept up with the demand. The fund is in trouble. If you build it, they will come, and workers did. Senate Bill 5286, before this current legislature, would modify details of the tax funding formula to help pay us way better in the future, is right, and it is moving through the legislature. The new formula is expected to keep the program out of the red. That is along with the unfortunate doubling of the payroll tax and a recent $350 million legislative bailout from the general fund. The, the bill passing 5286 is bipartisan, it's helpful, but it's not all celebratory. A simple, it simply rearranges the deck chairs on the Titanic. If you want to use, see or how much you and your employer pay for all this program that helps people, people in need and people not in need, while encouraging workers not to save for life's decisions and emergencies, instead rely on the government, there is a payment calculator available on the family paid family leave pro website. Employers will continue to report each employee's wages for but not including tips and collect the tax on Social Security cap up to $160,200 this year. There's nothing you need to do. Human resource specialists inform their employees other, other, other than cry, I say. At a time when inflation is cruelly biting in family budgets, many workers could have used the hundreds of dollars every year. They would be going to people who sometimes have higher incomes than they do. And a tax for long-term care is also going to take a big bite out of your check starting in July. So get ready for that one, too. We, we do and should have safety nets for purposes of people in need, even when their own decisions and lack of preparation put them there. The primary, the family leave, however, expands a safety net too far too wide. It hurts people's ability to be self-sufficient. Lawmakers should stop digging into the family leave hole, admit the program harms more workers than it helps, and let workers in the state keep more of their incomes. Little side note there, we say we don't have a state income tax. You got a state income tax. Eight-tenths of one percent coming out now. You got the family leave tax, going to add another six percent, six-tenths of one percent at least, depending on what this legislature does. All of a sudden, you're paying one and a half percent of your gross income. That sounds like an income tax to me. Just it's taken out under other terms. Got to look at that. And we also saw a report this week. New Biden rule permits money managers to play politics with trillions and retirement savings. President Joe Biden's Labor Department announced a new rule that permit money managers to play politics with trillions of dollars of people's retirement savings. The administration is pushing environmental, social, and governance investing. We call it ESG, which allows retirement fund managers to select stocks of companies based on their positions on social and environmental issues. Put simply, retirement savings will be used as leverage to force companies to reduce their carbon emissions and establish racial and gender quotas and other social justice fads completely unrelated to securing a high related return on workers' savings. For example, to reduce greenhouse gases, money managers are divested from traditional oil and gas companies such as Exxon and Chevron. How has that worked out so far? Last year, those were two of the highest performing stocks. But socially conscious investing has been around for decades. I have no problem with individual shareholders choosing stocks at comfort for their personal values. I have friends, for example, who refuse to invest in Starbucks because the company is fighting unionization for its employees. It's a free country. But it's an entirely different matter when trillion-dollar investment in retirement funds such as BlackRock inject their own biases into the way that they invest people's savings without their knowledge or consent. It's even worse that those biases rob investors of a high rate of return on their nest eggs. Terrace Keeley, who's a former executive of BlackRock, blew the whistle on this scam in Wall Street Journal by noting that since 2017, when the ESG Fed took a hold, that these funds have had an annual rate of return of 6.3% versus an 8.9% stock market as a whole. Investors lost 2.6% a year on their retirement funds. That goes to a long ways in down payment towards that retirement home in Arizona or Florida. 
What is insidious about the new Biden administration's ESG rules is that they permit an even tacit, the even tacity, tacitly encourage portfolio managers such as BlackRock to violate the fiduciary duty of their clients by allowing ESG factors to trump sound investment decisions. Federal regulators are supposed to be ensuring the soundness of retirement funds, not shrinking them. And to make matters worse, researchers at Columbia University and London School of Economics found that ESG funds may not even be achieving their goals. The study compared the ESG records of American companies in 147 ESG portfolios to ones in over 200 or over 2,000 non-ESG portfolios. Found the ESG companies were often worse when it came to labor and environmental law compliance. The good news: there's a backlash emerging against ESG. Late last year, one of the largest money managers, in this case Vanguard, wisely announced that it was withdrawing from the Net Zero Asset Managers Initiative, which is a major climate alliance. So going forward, ESG policies should be illegal unless individual investors check a box to have their money invested in such politically motivated investments. By the way, victims of the policy are often unionized workers, America's truckers, factory workers, and teachers, whose lifetime savings are put at risk. Bravo to Vanguard for pulling out of the ESG scam. If you're invested in a funding with BlackRock or State Street, you might want to ask why they haven't done the same. Coincidentally, we're not investing money with BlackRock if we can help it. This is Dick Donahue with you with Wolf Wake Up here on KGMI this Sunday morning. I want to thank you for being with us. Don't forget our live show on Saturdays at 11 o'clock. And uh, if you've got questions for us, don't be afraid to give us a call. 360-733-1200. Thanks, and have a great week. The opinions voiced in Wealth Wake Up with Dick Donahue are for general information only and are not intended to provide specific advice or recommendations for any individual. To determine what may be appropriate for you, consult with your attorney, accountant, financial, or tax advisor prior to investing. Guests on Wealth Wake Up with Dick Donahue are not affiliated with CWM LLC. Investment advisory services offered through CWM LLC, a registered investment advisor.